starting a new a little mini-series today uh, from the book of Acts, not through the book of Acts. That would not be mini. That would be massive. Um, but I'm going to talk about some of these opening chapters um, to get some ideas about how the church really began. And it seemed horrible. That's why I'm calling it Mission Possible. It really seems like a mission impossible to these people when they first started this. And uh, I'm not changing it. This is annoying to me. What was wrong with it, Chris? It, <laughs> this clicker is impossible. Um, this is a picture of the upper room, um, traditionally thought to be, who knows. Oh, maybe one of the disciples had his iPhone and got a shot of it. I don't know, but I think it's cool looking because I always thought it'd be different. I, thought, I always think of it just a tiny little hole in the wall and you cram 120 plus people in there. This is kind of nice. This is probably rent for eighteen two thousand dollars here a month. Pretty nice little place. That pole in the middle is kind of annoying, but um, I'm calling today's talk "What Happens Here uh, Will Change the World." Sometimes we discount a small beginning. If it's just a few people show up, we think this isn't going to happen. Uh, not enough people. Or we look at the crowd of people who showed up and say, oh, man, they can't do anything. Uh, no training, no, not cool or anything like that. And yet 2,000 years ago, a group of people gathered in an upper room and probably wondering why they were there in the beginning because they had gone through some tough times. And it was a very unlikely core of people. And yet a movement was began. And it's still going on today, a movement that continued the work of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, the work I do, you will do, and you'll do even greater things. And we always puzzle about that. How can that possibly be? Or at least I do. I think that's awfully arrogant to think we're doing what Jesus did. We're doing more. But he himself said, you're going to do way more than I've done. And here we see in the book of Acts that is played out. They're doing what Jesus did. Plus, they began to evangelize the world, and it was a world that was unbelievably hostile to them. And so it wasn't easy to stand up and say something about Jesus because um, the group that they were talking to didn't want to hear it. We're not... we. We have it kind of easy now. You can stand up anywhere and say anything you want about Jesus. And nobody's going to do I mean, they might walk away. They might yawn through it. They might verbally disagree with you, but they're not going to hurt you. Uh, in the book of Acts, in those early days, it was uh, life on the line kind of stuff. Um, they lived out their faith. They appeared to be like Jesus. In fact, they were accused of being like Jesus, which is what they wanted, and yet their job looked impossible. But we're calling it Mission Possible because this thing started with 120 people, maybe a few more. And today there's 2.1 billion Christians in the world. One-third of the world's population claims to be Christian. I feel like that was kind of a small start to something huge that is still growing still moving, even though there are blocks of the world that were once Christian are now 
unbelievably dead and apathetic about it. The church just keeps going forward. And it started in chapter 1 of Acts. And I love this story, Acts, because it is like a story. Zechariah 4.10 says, do not despise small beginnings. God will start small, but it will not stay small. Sometimes the things he has started in one person grow bigger than you could have ever imagined. I think we can boldly say some of the things that have been started here among you will be bigger than you thought. Go further than you thought. Impact more people than you thought. You thought it was just you. Or you thought it was just your little prayer group that meets early some mornings and pray about stuff. And you you have no idea what God can do through that. You may never know. That's the hard thing about Christianity. You may never know the impact you're having or what you think is the impact that you're having. That's not it. you'll, You'll get to heaven one day and you'll meet people and they'll say, oh, huh, I'm here because of you. And you're like trying to figure out who they are because you don't have any idea um, what's happening. First thing I want us to see is who were these 120? Peter stands up in verse 15 uh, among the believers. And in parentheses, Luke says to us, a group numbering about 120 people. They don't know exactly how many were there. And there's a lot of speculation we know that it was the remaining disciples, started with 12. Uh, you know the story of Judas. He betrayed um, Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. The moment they paid him, the moment they handed him the money, the moment they, they said, okay, here you go. Thanks a lot. We'll take it from here. Judas was just struck. He was overwhelmed with what he had done. And the Bible tells us that he went out and took his life because he was so grief-stricken. I mean, I don't think, I, 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 don't, I sometimes think about Judas, if he was a believer or not, he was just along and was not happy with where this thing was going, with what Jesus was about, and he sold him out. And then, I mean, have you ever done that where you, you haven't sold out Jesus, but something, you did something, and the moment you did it, you're thinking, oh my gosh, what have I done? And you feel horrible. Maybe forever. Who knows? Sometimes it's hard to let yourself off the hook for being a person, and uh, it's a struggle. So he, he took his own life. Luke, uh, the Gospels say that he went out and hung himself, and Luke talks about this weird thing that happens to him, and tradition is that the rope broke, and he fell, and they found him, and they used the money they gave him. They took it to buy the potter's field to bury people who we don't know who they are kind of thing. So the 11 remained, and they were with this 120. Um, There were a few women with this group. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, was part of this group. Uh, His half-brothers were with this group. But it's interesting to me because when they started out, they didn't believe Jesus was the Messiah at all. They didn't even like Jesus very much. He was annoying. He was sort of like the brother that no one liked and... And I, I'd like to know a little bit more about their family because uh, I think it could have been kind of interesting. Um, they started believing after the resurrection. The Bible tells us that Jesus appeared to James in a separate occasion. And I'd like to know how that went. 
James, his brother, didn't believe him, didn't buy it. It was ridiculous for Jesus to think he was that. And then they met one-on-one. And James becomes the pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. Kind of a cool story. Speculation says Nicodemus was probably here. And Joseph of Arimathea was here, the guy that loaned Jesus his tomb. I don't know if he knew he was going to get it back in a few days, but barely used. (laughs) Uh, The two that talked with Jesus on the road to uh, Emmaus are considered to be a part of this. Mary and Martha are thought of to be a part of this. And the list goes on of possible. There are many choices um, who could have been a part of this group. And the people would come and go. So they weren't like just 120 that stayed together for 40 days in this room. Um, the core of the 11 and these other people. And this group had been through a lot. They chose to follow Jesus Christ. The, the 12 were chosen by Jesus to be a core. And then these others would join along the way. These women often were people who supported Jesus, who uh, provided food and other support for him. And then they see their leader die. And then they see people who were part of the core run away, scared to death. And they see Peter, sort of the, the leader of the group, stand up and deny Jesus flat out in public. And then overwhelmed by what he had done, he runs away. Um, It's amazing to me because I I think when you think about what they've been through, I think it was amazing that they hung together, sort of. But then again, who else did they have? They'd given up pretty much everything to follow Jesus. And now they were here. No leader, just in this upper room, wondering, what will we do? Now what? Jesus had promised so much. He had rescued many of them from a life of no purpose. He had a big vision that the world would change. And now he's gone. Well, one day, they're in this upper room, sitting, staring at the wall, wondering what's next. And Jesus shows up. And I think that had to be amazing. He just like appears to the wall and, hey, how's it going? I don't know if he said that. I, I think he'd been a little more respectful. They've been through a lot. And he'd probably give him a heart attack. And so then the, begins this post-resurrection um, time where he spends time with his followers. He's teaching them who he really is, proving that he is the Messiah, using the Old Testament scriptures, talking about it, showing them the scars to prove, I'm the guy that you saw crucified. I've come back. Um, He taught them not only about who he was, but he taught them about the kingdom of God. He explained to them what was coming. So here's this group. I think they didn't get it. Still, I don't think they got it. They're hearing it and they're thinking, well, I'm thinking, I would be thinking, what? What are you talking about? And no, we can't be a part of this. We can't do it. We could barely make it with you with us, and now you're leaving us. And they're probably frightened. But they changed the world, and that's what the Acts is about. I love this story because it's more than history. It's about people 
who did what they thought they couldn't do, and they pulled it off. There's a few reasons why they made such a big difference, and I'm wondering, as I'm yakking with you, if these are true about you. Maybe. Uh, They were empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is kind of old hat to us. We talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. But that's the problem. We talk about him. They, they didn't know anything about this. whole. I mean, they knew something about the Spirit of God. They knew historically he would come on people to do a specific task. When the job was done, he would leave them. He had empowered certain people from the Old Testament to do phenomenal things, came upon kings to do a certain job. And that was kind of it. But here Jesus came. And he was led by the Holy Spirit to do the things he did. The passage says, don't leave. Look at the verse. Do not leave Jerusalem. Wait for my gift the Father promised. God promised one day the Holy Spirit will come upon you. One day the Holy Spirit will be on everybody Fill everybody, anoint everybody, men and women, old men, young men, children will be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he will come, he will take up residence, and he will stay with you forever. If you commit your life to Jesus Christ, if you're a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes. Don't leave. John baptized you with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now, next week, we're going to look at what happened and see what from that story will be repeated and what was a one-time event. The Holy Spirit. To me, this is a fascinating passage just because it's got the wait command. Wait, don't go forward, don't do anything, don't try anything. You don't know what you're doing, and you'll mess it up. You can't do this without the Holy Spirit. I pointed out at the 830 service, it's sort of weird how we can do things without the Holy Spirit. We know how to do church without the Holy Spirit. Sing a few songs, say a few prayers, put together a sermon. How hard is that? Have you done things without the Holy Spirit? Led a group, led a prayer group, led a Bible study, talked to somebody about Christ, played on the worship team. Have you done that? And not once thought, oh my gosh, Holy Spirit, if you don't lead, we can't do this. It's sort of like we would say, oh, we got this. We've done this. Oh, we've got a few chords and put them together. We can turn them into open chords and make them even more full. And it'll be cool. People will be moved and swayed. And, and I'm sure they're thinking in heaven, yeah, go ahead. But what could happen? If you relied on the Holy Spirit, I don't know. We think, I don't know. 
That's why I think this is a more powerful command than we think. Wait. We don't have to wait for the Holy Spirit now. My belief is that once you commit your life to Christ, He comes. You can't be a Christian without the Holy Spirit, and you can't do the work of God without the Holy Spirit. But I think the problem many times is we don't yield to Him. We don't. The filling of the Holy Spirit referred to in Ephesians 5 is this allowing Him to have total control over you. It's the same kind of concept that's referred to when the disciples are spoken of as being filled with fear, controlled by fear, terrified. Fear controlled them. It's the same idea. Let the Holy Spirit have total control of you. And that's what happened in this book. That's why these people who were considered by others to be uneducated, not smart, not skilled, not good at it, not smooth. And yet, opening day, 3,000 people signed up. And now, as I mentioned, 2.1 billion people in, a, in the world say they're Christians. I find that powerful. Well, Jesus says this, wait, wait, don't go, wait, wait. Just a few more days, and then things will never be the same. So they thought, and one of them asked a question, and Jesus called them, yes. Is this when you're going to restore Israel? Is this when you're going to start your kingdom through Israel? And I, I mentioned earlier, it's sort of like in school, in college or beyond, if you've gone beyond college, and the, the the professor is lecturing about something that's kind of interesting and you're listening or not interesting and you're not listening. But anyway, talk, talk, talk. And somebody raises their hand and, yes, the professor's all excited because somebody's going to comment on what he just said. And he thinks this is going to be great. And will this be on the exam? <laughs> Duh. I think it's because these disciples and all Jewish people at the time had longed and desired for so long for Israel to be set free from oppression and become the Israel they once were. A major kingdom, a major player, and that God would be reigning through them. They wanted a theocracy where God ruled. And they thought, this must be it. I think this is what he's talking about. Because he had kingdom language and kingdom ideas. And Jesus is so good. He says so clearly, no. That's, that, that's not what's talk, happening here. No. There is a kingdom. And it does have a future idea where I'm coming back. And I'll set up this kingdom and there will be judgment and there will be all that kind of stuff that we think is going to happen. Yeah, one day, but now this kingdom is about God ruling in the hearts and lives of people that want to serve me and accomplish my will. That's what we're talking about. Uh, third point is they were given a mission. This is what made this group, who was small, so powerful. 
They have the Holy Spirit, and they had a very clear mission. The Bible says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. A task. When the Holy Spirit comes, I think I could say, what happens when the Holy Spirit comes and let you say something? I think we'd have some interesting ideas of what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on us. Some of you would say, well, we'll be able to speak in tongues just like they did. And you're going to talk about it next week. And some would say, oh, man, we can do miracles. When the Holy Spirit gets all of you, oh, my, you can just speak things and they'll happen and all this kind of stuff. The passage says, when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. Great. I want to be powerful. What does that mean? This power some people find out, they, they stumble upon a Greek New Testament and they learn just enough Greek to be unbelievably dangerous. And they find that word and it's the word we get our idea of dynamite from and they think, oh my gosh, we can explode things. We want that. But it's also the idea of dynamic, dynamo. It's this driving force, this that just empowers us to keep going and going and going. I think that's more what's in mind here. Who wants just people blowing up and creating a mess all over the place? No. He needs us to stay around long enough for people to see the change, the power that's happened in us. You will receive power, and this power will help you be like Christ. Everybody in this room, I'll, I'm willing to wager something. I don't know what. I have, a, I have $2 here. Uh, yeah, I thought it was 3 I thought, man, I'm rich. Uh, you have things in your life you want changed. I bet. Habits, some not so bad, some horrible attitudes you want changed, stuff you want to try to grow through and be, and, and you've started and started, and okay, I'm in, I mean it, I'm, I'm in, I'm going to know more, I'm not doing that again. And you do it again, and it, it's so frustrating, and then you, this crazy, unhealthy cycle, I'm not doing it, I'm not doing it, and then you do it, and then you're depressed for a week, and then, okay, 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 I'm not doing that again, I, and you take measures to not do it again, and and Jesus says when the Holy Spirit comes, he will empower you to be like Christ. You will not be perfect. You'll still struggle. You'll still fight. But I bet, though I've mentioned many of you probably still have things you're trying to get over, I bet if you looked at your life, honestly, you would see things you've grown through. You don't struggle there anymore. We tend to not see that. We only see the stuff, well, I'm not there yet. But look what you've come from. It's because of the Holy Spirit. He'll not only empower us to be like Christ, but he'll empower us to do the work Jesus did. 
He said, Jesus said, the work I did, you will do, and you'll do, do even greater things. How? The Holy Spirit will empower you. You will be bold and confident, outgoing, and respond when the Holy Spirit leads. You'll have that sense of boldness, confidence, even when you're not confident. Even when you're extremely shy and introverted and withdrawn, there will be times when the Holy Spirit, you'll feel this nudge. I know it feels subjective, and we like more objective. I want that, 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 and then I'll know. But I don't think it works that way all the time. There are just times when, for me, I tend to be kind of introverted and quiet. And when I'm here, I'm kind of a more functional extrovert. But this, you know, this is very tiring for me. And then I'm gone for a few days trying to recover. But there are times that I will get this nudge. Talk to that guy. And then I'll ask the obvious question. About what? I don't even know the guy. What are you talking about? Talk to him. And it's very clear. He needs to know about me. And then it's on me. Am I going to step up? Yes, yes, yes. And to be totally honest with you, there are times, and I, and I honestly, I say, hmm, no, that's not happening. I don't know him. I'm not in the mood. He might ask me something I don't know. And then I'll have to come up with some kind of answer. I don't feel that bad saying that to you. Because that's not why you pay me. I feel quite comfortable saying that because you're the same. You've had days like that. Except for some of you that pretend to be spirit-filled all the time and talk to everybody. And that's annoying. (laughs) So I'm just trying to be real with you because I'm not playing down the spirit. I'm just trying to be real and honest. Because when you realize that you're really not that way and when God works through you, it's you have to acknowledge that was not me. It must have been the Spirit of God. So he'll give you this boldness, this power, so we can be witnesses of him. That's what he said. You will be my witnesses. My idea of what church is, is that church is a movement. It's really not a building, a denomination, a structure, a type of church polity, a government, ecclesiastical system. Church has all that, and there's nothing wrong with all that. And some of the various forms of government and leadership are fascinating to look at and read about. And some some churches are very organized, some not so organized. That's all fine, but... Church is more than that. It's a movement. And it's based on two things. A simple idea. A simple idea that Jesus was crucified for our sins and he rose from the dead. It's about that. Simple idea. And a simple mission. Tell everybody you can about what Jesus did. That's my 
idea of church. That's my passion. I just, we, we get it so complicated and we have all these beliefs we've got to have and there's nothing wrong with those beliefs. I'm, I'm there. I, I have some. Uh, but really, church, if you look at Acts as, you, as we will, you'll find it's a movement. Just move. Action happening, organic, moving. And it's all about this simple idea that Jesus was God come in human form and he was crucified on the cross and he rose three days later. He is the way to God. And the simple mission is tell everybody. Oh, wait, wait, you, wait. What about those people that aren't part of the elect? Do we tell them? or Isn't it kind of cruel to tell them because they don't really get to get in anyway? Even if they pray and receive Christ, it doesn't matter because they're not part. Tell them to. Because that's a faulty idea. Tell everybody that you can. Salvation for everybody, Jesus said. And he, he said, I, I want the church to be missional. I mean, it's funny. Some of the younger churches and younger pastors are all fired up about, we're the missional church. And I, I, I think, great, great, but that's been done. It was done in Acts. That's not new. It's back to what we're supposed to be. And some very old-fashioned, traditional churches have been that from day one. That's what Acts said. We got off that a few years after the Acts period when the church became uh, who knows what. And then, so then I have some friends that, oh, we're pattering ourselves after the church during the period, and they pick a historical period that it was, that's their favorite. And I think just don't keep going back to Acts. Jesus was involved. The Spirit was there. Let's do that and not worry about all this other stuff. We need to know stuff. We need to have guidelines and boundaries. This is what we believe. We filter stuff through it. All that, yeah. But act means action. And it comes from the Holy Spirit. I think it's fascinating that he wanted them to start in Jerusalem where they were. And then he wanted them to move Judea and then Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. They stopped at Samaria in their minds because they hated them. We're not going there. And in Acts chapter 8, we'll see. Philip, one of the deacons. Oh, man. Those deacons. He ends up in Samaria. And a revival breaks out and demons are being cast out of people and people are coming to Christ. And he calls, you know, he drops a, a text to the, uh, the apostles to get over there and check this out because stuff's happening in Samaria. So they sent some guys over to check it out. And they said, it's God. <laughs> what else could they say? It was crazy. The idea of, of evangelism is really just saying, this is what Christ did for you. And we do a lot of things that we call evangelism that aren't. And we say a lot of things, and we get in people's faces, and it's us. The Spirit of God is probably not leading. And it... it I, I feel sometimes it can cause damage because 
you know, I think the people really are rejecting Christians they've met, not Christ. I knew a Christian once, and I think, oh boy, here we go. (laughs) Just talk about Christ. And now we're in this time where people typically look at church with a with an attitude. Number one, church has nothing to say to me. They're not they're not interested because they just think the church isn't interested. Are the churches judgmental? And we are. And we just need to relax on that, I think, and lighten up a little bit on that and just say welcome. And let some of this stuff that it's hard to figure out sort itself out. I really do think we get the cart before the horse. We want people to look Christian and act Christian before they are because we're not comfortable with non-Christian behavior. So we don't really care if you go to hell or not, but if you could just act like Christians, it would be better for us. I think that's kind of creepy. Could you stop that behavior? It's bothering me. Lord, do you want me to go to heaven? You can tell me about Jesus. No, I don't care about that. But if you could just act like one of us. And we get fired up about movements and ideas, you know, and yeah, some of those things that people do are wrong, but they're not Christian yet. So wait. I know this is uncomfortable, I think, maybe for some of you. Um, sometimes it is for me. But I think if they come to Christ and the Spirit of God begins to work in them, it is amazing the kinds of behaviors the Holy Spirit can manage to change. It's just amazing. So learn to tell people about Christ. Just love them. Earn their respect. They'll listen to you. And we'll talk more about that. It'll be fun. You'll like it. (laughs) Uh, One more thing. It's going pretty good. Yeah, Yeah, I think so. I knew you'd think that. 12 through 26, they were united. I think one of the most powerful things is when a group is united. The Bible says in in Genesis chapter 11, these people got together and they all spoke the same language at that time in in the world. I have no idea when that was, but, uh, and they decided instead of doing what God told them to do, just to spread and fill the earth and stop hanging around people you can talk to and go around people you can't understand and, come on, let's go. It's going to be uncomfortable, but it's better. They stayed together, and they said, let's build a city, and then we'll build a tower all the way to heaven, and we'll make a name for ourselves. We'll just stay here. And so God was annoyed, and so he he came down, and he deals with these people by causing them to all speak a different language. So they couldn't understand each other at all, and they just got tired of being together. This is no fun. We can't even understand each other. And they left. And, And God says this great thing. See? When people are all, rough translation, on the same page, doing the same thing, united, there's, there's not anything they can't do. The one who made people knows 
the one who made you and me, knows if we ever unite around a cause and focus on that, there's nothing we can't do. And here is the beginning of what we're going to see in Acts several times. This passage says they were all together. And the idea is the same word he's going to use other times. They were all united. All united. In the same mind. All together. On the same page. And Peter stands up to address them. And they begin to do some things as a one unit, a group. They prayed together. They stayed together. They probably ate together. And they talked about Jesus together, remembering. I'm sure they had great times still. They still couldn't quite get this old Jesus deal. And now he was dead. And now he's back. And, but they would talk about him. I remember when he did this and that. And they're hanging together. And then they made decisions together. For some reason, they felt like they needed to pick another guy to take the place of Judas. There's nothing wrong with that. It just seems like, why? We're fine with 11, you know. But anyway, they got together and they chose two guys that had been with them from the beginning, had walked with Jesus, seen Jesus. And then they said, okay, we've got two guys, God. These guys look pretty good to us. What do you think? Help us to know the right one. And then they threw dice and whatever came up, that was it. What do you think? You do that. I do that. Huh. I don't know what to do. Here, let me, I got a coin. Let's flip it. And if it's heads, it's you, God. If it's tails, it's the evil one. I won't do it. That's how they made decisions on day one. It kind of got a little different after the Holy Spirit came upon them and he began to lead them and guide them. And they got more good, better at following him. It's a miracle that this group was not fighting. It's a miracle. They had people in the group that had betrayed Jesus. Peter, who stood up to lead them. They all knew how he betrayed Christ publicly. They all saw the other disciples who ran away in fear when the crucifixion deal started going. And some of them who had stayed committed to Christ all along I mean, just over that matter, they could have fought. And yet somehow, they stayed together, prayed together. And next week, during this prayer meeting, they go out and something happened that was just powerful. And we'll figure out what happened. Hopefully, I'll figure it out by then and be able to tell you this is what happened. Well, my goal is that I could be like one of these 120. And hopefully, that's your goal. And for us as a church, that we would be sort of like them. Not all, all like that. I mean, I want to wear our kind of clothes, not theirs, and eat our kind of food, not theirs. And, uh, but... Just the idea of the sense of mission and knowing the power of the Holy Spirit and being united, learning to work together and adjust and get along. I mean, I'm a great test for you. If you get along with me, you're getting pretty good. So maybe I'll just be the example and walk around and stir things up and you can learn to get along with me, embrace me anyway or something. 
Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. And I thank you, Father, that you sent him. You promised that he would come. And and here he is. We saw him on day one of the church. And we, we know that that same Holy Spirit is in our life. And we thank you for him. Forgive us for the times that we're tempted to ignore him or the times we're tempted just to do the things he's supposed to help us do without him. And it's so easy to be deceived because it's so easy to do things that look spiritual but aren't and to help us to be more sensitive to him and help us to get a a grip on and an understanding of how to continue telling people at the north end of the valley about what Christ has done. And we thank you for the book of Acts, day one, how this little group had such an impact. And I thank you that one-third of the world's population claims to be Christian because of what happened in Acts and what continues to happen. Help us to be a part of that. In Jesus' name, amen.